Welcome to LSA on Display, the official podcast of LSA Student Government, where we aim to bridge the gap between administrators and students. I'm your host, Mithun Vidya Panraj. I'm a biochem major, I'm a junior, and I'm also the chair of the health committee here at LSA Student Government. I'm your co-host. My name is JJ Niskar. I'm a sophomore studying biology and French, and I'm also the vice chair of the health committee. We're going to have Dr. Ernst on our podcast today. He's the chief health officer at the University of Michigan. We aim to talk about his work and the important role he plays in keeping our campus healthy and safe. As students, we often have questions and concerns about health and wellness, especially during these uncertain times. That's why we've invited Dr. Ernst to share his insight and expertise on a range of topics, from COVID-19 to mental health resources on campus. Through this conversation, we hope to gain a better understanding of the challenges facing our community and how we can work together to address them. So sit back and enjoy as we chat with Dr. Ernst and learn more about the important work he does as the Chief Health Officer at the University of Michigan and more about his day-to-day life. So in our meetings, we usually start with a little bit of an icebreaker. So our vice chair usually starts off. So I'll let him take it away with our icebreaker today. Yeah, so it's kind of more of a silly question. Um, But if you could be any letter in the alphabet, what letter do you think would best match your vibe? Match my vibe? That's a really silly question. I had to say, as an administrator, and particularly an administrator in student life, you end up being super expert at icebreakers. Uh, Been through a lot of them. This is the first time I've had that question. I would probably pick the letter Y because I'm uh, not because of the, the letter standing for a word, but because of the way it sounds. I, I think I'm a pretty um, challenging person by nature. I uh, think I see situations in differently than others, and I am constantly wondering if there's better ways to do things Uh, and I think before you introduce a change you ought to anchor it to a reason why you're making the change so I'm a very purpose-driven individual and link my programs and initiatives to leading with the why so I'll pick why okay very interesting yeah um so the last time I was asked this question my answer was m because my name starts with m I live in Michigan, and I go to the University of Michigan. Um, but now that I heard your answer, I feel like I would have to pick X because I always search for, like, the mark. And I think life is like a treasure map. You know, you're always searching for the next big treasure. And I think X is a good one. I like it. Me too. How about you, JJ? Um I'm going to probably say S, which is also different from what my first one was. I think because I try to, I've been trying a lot more recently to live more in balance. And I think the letter S just visually has a lot of balance to it. Um, So yeah, that's kind of something I've been working on. Good. Yeah. Would I just start? Yeah, I guess we can start (laughs) uh, with some of the the harder questions first. And then we can move back to some (laughs) of the fun questions. So for everyone who doesn't know, uh, during COVID, Dr. Ernst was in charge of the COVID-19 task force and uh, the university's response. Um, so what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced um, in your response and in the ongoing response to COVID-19? 
Good. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that question. It's, um, you know, the unique thing about COVID is that we didn't know what we were up against, you know, and uh, we talked about COVID-19 as being a novel coronavirus. Um, and people tried to understand a lot about what a coronavirus was. And we actually know a lot about coronaviruses, but this was a new one. And uh, during the response time, while we were trying to maintain continuity of our important operations as an institution, we had to keep reminding ourselves that this was a novel coronavirus. So it was deciding what was going to happen next. And we had to continually evolve as the understanding about what might happen next became more clear. Um, but there was not a lot of certainty along the way. And um, I think that was probably the most challenging because as a physician, you know, I, I, I think I came into that situation with a little more um, experience dealing with uncertainty in really challenging tough decisions. We do that in medicine, right? I mean, if people come in and there something's going on and it sounds serious and uh, we don't know what it is, that's a really not uncommon but uh, challenging situation. So we gather the information that we have. We talk about, you know, you know, strategies to get more information and then, uh, and then we make a plan. And that's, uh, and then we move on and then we meet up again and figure out, do we have more information and then revise the plan? That's sort of how medicine works. Mm -hmm. And that can be really serious situations, operating with high stakes decisions mm -hmm. with limited information. Um, so I've been at that for 25 years as a practicing doctor and uh, uh, understand not that that's insignificant, but I have more of a comfort level with that. And I realize that our community understandably had a little more trouble with that, you know, and uh, the uncertainty about what might happen next or how serious it might be or what if it were me or somebody in my family that would have COVID, you know, uh, or you know, people who thought completely the opposite, you know. So people in the, set, in the face of uncertainty anchored to some really strong beliefs and that uh, was kind of all over the place. And that's okay, it was understandable because we didn't know what we were up against. What I found really challenging was as new information did become available, oftentimes people would anchor to that uh, preconceived understanding of it and that became really tough. And I think one of the, uh, I think really unfortunate parts of the COVID experience, not just here at Michigan, but all over will be the the sort of lack of trust that many developed in the public health experts, not because of anything from, in my belief, right. the experts, but because of, you know, these deeply held opinions mm -hmm. that individuals sort of developed in that setting of uncertainty and then an unwillingness or difficult time moving away from it. So that was, that's been really hard. I guess another topic apart from COVID-19 um, is mental health and students mental health has been at the forefront of some of our um, initiatives um, so as chief health officer what do you think is the most underused or um, underrated resource available to students 
Well, you know, I I, um, I think you're right about one thing, that uh, you should really be, you know, focusing on the imperative of addressing student mental health. Uh, and we, we were talking a lot about student mental health before the pandemic, and I had said to a number of my close colleagues that if I could have magically at any point along the way snapped my fingers and made COVID go away, within 24 hours we'd have been back to talking about student mental health and not only how pressing the issue is, but how it's been impacted by COVID. Um, so we're, we're aware of that. I, um, I, I am really uh, aware also of the fact that those relationships we talked about a minute ago that, you know, developed in the response to our university uh, collective response against COVID sort of also rallied around this other uh, concern about the well-being of our students and our broader university community as well. So it was in the height of the pandemic in late 2020, the provosts and the vice president of student life at that time convened a really uh, important task force to think about innovative strategies to address student mental health. And it really leveraged that strong relationship that developed between student affairs, student life, and the uh, provost's office in academic affairs um, to think about another really important shared uh, concern. And that group um, took a look at the available resources that we were already providing and sort of comp in a comprehensive way, cataloged, you know, those resources that you just asked about, did an external look about some best practices that are in place at other uh, peer institutions, and then wrote a really comprehensive report about opportunities. And what came out of that was, uh, you know, some of the exciting things that we're doing in terms of our well-being collective. And uh, um, I think uh, there's a... Um, an ongoing effort to reimagine the uh, resources that you've you, uh, just asked about in terms of addressing mental health. I, I, I think uh, a couple of things that we've learned is that, um, number one, the counseling center, understandably, and uh, is often thought of as the first place you should go if you're struggling with your, your emotional health. And uh, I think that's great. I think we learned that the, the recognition of that resource on campus among students is really high. And I think that's a really strong um, part about the, the counseling center. The other thing that we learned, however, is that, you know, students often will want to uh, connect with a resource along a continuum of care, not just a one-stop shop approach. So um, one of the things that we're trying to do is articulate a, a sort of broader sort of uh, approach to entry to the system, whether it's you know counseling or whether it's a, um, um, a, a sort of a remote resource that we can promote for students or whether it's a, a medical provider or maybe it's a, a wellness coach. You know, it may not be the same sort of place in the system along that continuum of care where every student feels comfortable accessing help. But we just want to make sure that that whole 
a spectrum of resources is, is uh, promoted to students. As someone in student government, as someone who like actively searches out for these resources to um, promote to students, um, I'm aware of a lot of resources that a lot of other students wouldn't be. Um, some of those including wellness coaching um, at um, Wolverine Wellness, as opposed to going to CAPS or COM memberships that are provided by CSG. Um, and I think uh, something that is the most underutilized resource would be a resource navigator as opposed to the actual resource itself. Um, I think students would greatly benefit from uh, a resource navigator that could provide them with um, what they need I agree with that. I, I think that was actually a finding that came out of the uh, the Innovations Task Force was that um, students do would benefit from a, a resource navigator, whether that's a person or whether that's a, a, a technology. We're piloting something with uh, new students in residence halls now about a, a tech, technology version. But we, we are... Um, we, we do have a cohort of folks uh, who do this now as resource navigators, and I, I think we could probably do a better job of uh, raising awareness of that because I, I agree with what you said. You know, it is uh, it, students would benefit from hearing about a range of options. I know um, right before we started recording, we were talking a bit about your kids and how your daughter goes here. Um, do you think that having your daughter, who's about to graduate from Michigan, um, has that helped you a little bit in terms of understanding firsthand mental health here, especially throughout the COVID pandemic? Uh, well, for sure. Uh, you know, I have, uh, even during the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I was acutely aware of the impact of uh, um, our response to the pandemic on my, my kids, actually two kids in college at the, oh. at the time during pandemic one at a different school and one here and I actually thought that in and of itself gave a, a, a different kind of perspective about you know um, you know not just how we were responding to the pandemic and, and the impact on students here but how others were doing it and you know wh whether or not that was different it was really really important I will oftentimes answer questions uh, in the context of saying I, I you know when when somebody perhaps will say you know what I, I will oftentimes say I can only answer that question from the perspective of a parent, you know, right, right. because I, yeah. I do evaluate things differently from that perspective. And uh, um, I, I see um, in my children uh, a mirror into what I think is the, the general student body without trying to generalize that too much, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, one of the things that... I um, really appreciate it with my daughter and, and her friends and others is that uh, the willingness to kind of uh, seek help is feels different now um, than you know when I was a student and uh, I think the the keeping an eye on your friends as well as your own personal well-being is something that um, is a, a real strength of, amongst our students here. And I um, think that uh, as we educate students about what's available 
in terms of resources, I hope students take away from that, that that's for you, but it might also be for people that you see who might be struggling and be sort of a, an outreach from that. For sure. So speaking about being a student, I think JJ had a question about I, your time here <laughs> at U of M. I did. Um, more of a, not necessarily a silly question, but not as serious as we've been talking about. Um, do you have like a favorite memory from college that you still kind of look back on fondly? <laughs> Well, you know, I didn't go to college here. I uh, I went to uh, Notre Dame, so uh, oh, I still okay. have to kind of uh, reconcile that uh, yeah. on a few <laughs> weekends in the fall from time to time. For sure. Uh, but I did go to medical school here mm. and uh, had a great time in medical school here. Uh, I thought it was just a phenomenal uh, place to train. I still think it's the best place on the planet to, to receive health care. <laughs> and have had incredible mentors uh, at every stage of my experience here at Michigan. But I actually, the one of the funnest memories that I have from uh, being a student at Michigan, I was a medical student, was the last time that um, Michigan won the national championship in basketball. I'm a huge college basketball fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when Michigan won the national championship, I lived in a, a big house off campus with a bunch of other medical students. And we had a giant gathering for that mm. finals and uh, have great memories of that and still uh, stay very closely connected with a lot of the folks that I lived with in medical school and really appreciate that sense of belonging to a community, which I think is really an intrinsic strength of the school. I think the, that students can find community and uh, it's a great um, aspect of your personal well-being that I think we can really help folks with but that i i remember that night really clearly (laughs) that's awesome i think basketball games are always that way i actually Mm. went to the purdue game unfortunately that we did lose (laughs) um i was volunteering there for wolverine wellness and so i didn't get to sit in the stands with all the other students but i think watching it from a third perspective was even um more eye-opening because you just see all the students just go crazy whenever something happens um i did get one of the pink t-shirts though so that was nice (laughs) so as you mentioned you were both a practicing physician and um chief health officer here if you had to give one of them up which one would it be and why you know i um I really, uh, I really enjoy being a practicing physician, um, and could imagine being really happy if that's all I did. Mm-hmm. I, I really uh, can't explain how privileged it feels to uh, have that relationship with people. Um, and even during the height of the pandemic, where I was working incredible hours, seven days a week for weeks and months at a time. I kept my clinic going. And in fact, many of my patients, all of whom who knew what I was doing administratively at the time, couldn't believe that I didn't uh, stop seeing patients. Actually, I would say to them, <laughs> and many times I would say, you know, you actually choose to come see me as a doctor <laughs> because you value my input in my, you know, right. sort of well, wisdom in your health. So uh, it's my favorite time of the week to see mm. patients. Mm. Um, so it's a really tough question because 
um, being a um, being a physician helps me be a better administrator. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, students sometimes ask me, you know, how how that works, and I think it does get back to that. Um, that medical model of how we solve problems. You know, you have to you have to do a lot of listening to be an effective physician. And uh, you know, many experts would say, even though we order a lot of tests and we do procedures on people, ninety percent comes from the history. So if you really do careful listening, you make better decisions. And I, I learned that not at a course and not in a book, but by taking care of patients clinically. So you've asked me, I thought these were going to be the fun questions. And this turns out to be a really hard one for me because... Um, They're fun for us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I have a really strong identity and I get a lot of personal satisfaction about maintaining my clinical practice. And I believe that my background and my experience as a practicing, a really busy practicing Mm -hmm. clinical physician has made me a better administrator. Now, with that being said, um, the hard part about being a practicing physician is that you see your um, uh, value one instance of service at a time. And it's great for that individual if you can make a positive impact. Um, The value of being an administrator is that you can take a look at systems and do your problem solving on systems of care that can then benefit the entire community. So my, uh, my philosophy over time here at Michigan, which has been a long time, it's been really, really rewarding, has been to shift in many ways, my focus away from one instance of clinical care at a time to a community health approach. Um, And that approach, in my mind, is to really think hard and do a lot of uh, listening about the needs of your community, like you would for an individual. And then think about what tools you have to try and best meet those needs, like you do with each instance of clinical care with an individual. The thing you can do with the community then is build systems that benefit a whole that is really rewarding. And I think there's a lot of work to be done around the issues of infection prevention and public health, but also around this important issue we talked about before about student mental health. So I'm really uh, excited to, to think about our opportunities to affect the systems of care in service to being a health-promoting university. And uh, if it's all right, I want to keep practicing a little bit. (laughs) I think it makes me better. That works. Um, So I I think as a pre-med student, something that really enticed me um, in hearing from you um, and doing some research on um, Dr. O, who's in charge of SAAS, or the president, um, or many other physicians who have a sort of second line of work, um, as I think of it. Um, how did you shift from, uh, or why did you shift from being a practicing physician to also doing administrative work here at U of M? Um, 
You know, I, I've been really fortunate here at Michigan uh, to have had a lot of opportunities to kind of uh, take on different kinds of challenges. Um, that doesn't mean I think it's wrong to just sort of be the very best you can at the same thing and just keep getting better at it. I have many friends and colleagues who have done that. So that was my first reaction to your previous question about if I had to pick and do it over again, I, I think I could be really happy just being the best physician that I could be. That's really rewarding. Um, but I do believe that there are transferable skills. I've talked about that a little bit before about, you know, uh, problem solving and, um, you know, um, dealing with really challenging issues with incomplete information and making decisions uh, in the setting of, you know, incomplete information and things like that. The other part uh, about perhaps why I um, sort of enjoy the shift towards what I'll call, you know, taking care of systems instead of just individuals is, uh, you know, not just the fact that I'm a physician, but I'm an internist. I'm a general internist. And most people don't know mm -hmm. what that means. It sounds like an intern. <laughs> sure. You know, and I think of being an internist as being, you know, a specialist in both the common and complex health problems that affect adults. And um, I really value that identity also. Um, you know, I think about myself as a general internist is sort of like the decathlete at a track meet. You know, mm -hmm. if, we, if you're a track athlete or mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that setup, you know, there's a lot of individual events where you find the fastest person or you're the person who can jump the highest or the person who can throw something the furthest. And uh, the one event where the decathlon is where you have each person in, is competing against the others in 10 different events. So you have to be really kind of good at everything. But at any one of those events, you could be at that same track meet, find a bunch of people who were better, right? Mm -hmm. That's my identity as a, a general internist. Um, it's a challenge to stay uh, in the conversation with people across a range of different problems. Um, but that's what I enjoy about administration. I, I don't feel like I have to be the expert at everything, I like to surround myself with experts. And then just like I would as the primary care doctor coordinating the care if they need it with specialists, I can do that with systems of care as well. That's what I enjoy about being an administrator. I can also imagine um, that there's, I mean, being a physician, there has to be <clears throat> an intrinsic like desire to help and kind of make a difference in people's lives. And I can imagine shifting to an administrative role that that would give you an opportunity to do it on a much larger scale. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate that. I mean, um, I, I should have led with that. Thank you, actually, <laughs> because it, it does, it's not a coincidence that I've stayed here for so long. I, right. I really do believe that what we do here at the University of Michigan is really important. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, educating people and doing cutting-edge research and engaging in service to our community is just super important. So anything we can do, anything that I can do or the people that uh, I work with can do to maintain that super important work is a, is a guiding purpose for me. You know, so if that's... Um, 
that that's again sort of an extension above, beyond sort of caring for an individual and just really wanting good things to happen to that person. Mm-hmm. When you take care of systems, you just really need to you know want those that those systems to flourish and 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 really operate at their best capacity. And I, I do believe that. I really. Uh, I think this is uh, an important place, and the things that we do as an institution are just really important, and I want them to be operating at their safest and most optimal you know, way. And that is a motivating thing for me as well. Mm. Is there um, any like particular project that you have felt was like the most fulfilling or just mm-hmm. kind of your favorite overall? Um, can I answer that in two different ways? For sure, yeah. yeah. Myth and it triggered something in me earlier. I think probably one of the funnest projects that I was involved with was uh, helping Dr. Okanlami launch our adaptive sports program in mm-hmm. student life. Um, you know, I didn't know much about adaptive sports uh, until I met uh, Faramy, and uh, I was blown away like everybody is with his charisma and his passion. Um but I also was really intrigued by the opportunity to help students have a, a really, you know, fulfilling Michigan experience. And Fermi is super charismatic and super <laughs> passionate, but he's also super connected to purpose, you know, so um, that's a little bit different than passion. Um, he's just really clear about what he thinks success looks like for that program. And we've, Mm -hmm. I think, made a lot of progress uh, getting that uh, off to a good start. I think there's a lot of, you know, opportunity for growth there, but that's been a uh, a really, that's been a really fun project. Mm -hmm. I think in uh, another really rewarding thing that I I did when I was medical director at the health service Mm -hmm. um, was, um, having been at the hospital, I was in administration at the hospital for many few years before I came to campus. And I thought that was really, um, there was a big opportunity to take the sort of standard ambulatory care model of care at the hospital and create a version of that at the health service. Mm-hmm. And um, it was intentional to put the health service on campus on the same uh, record platform as the hospital. It was hard, mm-hmm. but we did that. And in the process, layered in the sort of less obvious um, ambulatory care model of uh, at the health service. And I don't expect students to see that. Mm-hmm. But what I hope they would see is the purpose for why we did that. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a system of care at the hospital that's built around the patient experience. They'll mm-hmm. talk about that a lot, a patient experience. And a patient experience is one that has both uh, easy, efficient, and friendly customer service parts to it, mm-hmm. and then also easy and efficient ways of using this this service. And they are really intentional about that. So the goal or the purpose of doing the uh, transformation of our clinical practice at the health service was to try and improve the student experience there mm. for the same reasons. We, we, I was really clear mm. about what we were doing in terms of layering in the policies and putting in the record system and changing to an open access scheduling. But the, the reason was to improve the, the student experience. And mm. we just kept saying, you know, make sure that if you're 
building the process, make sure it's easily accessible to students, make sure your service model is friendly and adhere to the highest possible quality. Those three things, high quality, friendly service, easy access. Anybody who was working with me as medical director at the health service said, expect to hear those three things. If you're wondering what success looks like, it's friendly service, easy access, high quality. Just mm -hmm. kept saying those things. Really proud of that. Yeah, I mean, you definitely should be. I know as a student who's gone to both the health services and to the actual U of M hospital, um, I have talked to my parents about how easy it is to kind of interweave those things for us. And I can imagine it was ungodly complex, but... <laughs> I mean, it's really nice, and it makes it a lot easier for us. So at least thank you on that front. Um, You've really just made my week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. Um, I, I can take it away with another yeah. question. Um, Dr. O, he was actually the first person that we asked um, to do the podcast with. Um, his is actually next week. Um, so we'll hear more about the adaptive sports then. Um as a physician, um, something that's really important is health. Um, what food do you eat that is definitely <laughs> unhealthy and goes against everything that uh, you've learned? Well, it's, uh, um, well, I, I, I actually appreciate the sort of holistic view of well-being, you know, and <laughs> I think uh, nutrition's an important part of that. Um, you know, I, I can think of some snacks that I like, and then mm -hmm. I can think of some just really sort of indulgences, you know. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I do snack. I, in fact, my team, when we were doing a lot of meetings, like same people every day having mm -hmm. these meetings, I, I got a, a bit of a reputation for always having a box of Cheez-Its on, okay. the, on the table. My favorite. I love <laughs> Cheez-Its. I got to tell you, I could just graze on Cheez-Its all day long. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they're not unhealthy. So if I had to say an indulgence that I just can't help myself sometimes at night before bed, it's peanut butter flavored ice cream. It's oh. just, um, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Not every night, <laughs> but uh, there are some nights okay. where that, uh, that's a weakness. Okay. So fair. Um, I know we were talking about a lot of stress, and I can imagine um, being an administrator and a physician, there's a lot of stress that you have. Um, do you have hobbies, I guess, that will help you kind of deal with that, that you have time, that you make time for to kind of put you back at the center and kind of ground you? Yeah, I appreciate that question a lot. I have a lot of hobbies. I, um, I, um, and, and some of them are just things that I, I, I get joy from and, uh, mm -hmm. and they're connected to my well-being more holistically, there are some that just help with my stress too. So if I could just separate those out a little bit, I, sure. I, I am, uh, um, I like to be active, you know, and particularly outside. I'm uh, I, uh, a year-round outdoor runner. Uh, I also enjoy cross-country downhill skiing in the winter. Uh, in the mm. summer, I, you know, kayak or just walk my dogs in the neighborhood, and uh, I just love being active outside. I'm a swimmer. I love swimming outside. Um, but, uh, you know, other things that I, I've really, particularly as the intensity of my, my job has picked up to really make time for, um, more meditative relaxation has been through yoga. I'm wow. a practitioner of yoga. I, wow. I've become a really big fan of that. I find it to be good for my 
physical health as well as my emotional well-being. So I'm really uh, a big proponent of that, along with trying to stay active. So uh, I've got a lot of hobbies. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I don't. I don't watch. I'm terrible at movie trivia. I don't. I don't watch a lot of uh, TV or movies. Uh-huh. But I stay. I'm uh, stay active. Plus, I was also have four children that, uh, and an active and busy wife too. So yeah. I, I like being with my family and and um, appreciate that question because yeah. I do make time for my own well-being. That's great. Uh, do you have like a favorite place on campus that you are kind of taking on either yoga or just being outside yeah you know i um i'm really looking forward to the new rec center i have to say Mm -hmm. i think that's a super exciting uh, development i hope students feel that same kind of excitement Uh, i know we've renovated some of the others but now with my office right across the street from the ccrb there were there was a time when i was at the when i was at the health service where i would uh, I was in a, a really great schedule where I would get up in the morning, I'd go for a run, and then get everybody's off to school, and then I would just be in meetings all morning long, mm-hmm. and then I would go over to Bell Pool and swim at oh. lunch every single day, oh, and awesome. then come back and see patients every afternoon. I did that for years and was super happy, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm really looking forward to our new campus rec building um, because uh, if I can get that daily swim back into my routine i think i would be a really uh happier person pretty happy person um do you we i mean you were talking about your routine do you kind of have a favorite way to start your day or like a morning routine (laughs) that you find uh, start i'm laughing a little bit because i do you know have a yeah, four children and two dogs and mm-hmm. a really busy, successful uh, partner, too. So mornings can be kind of pandemonium during the <laughs> week, getting everybody yeah. where they're supposed Valid. to be. Actually, one of my daughters is a, a lot of profound physical and cognitive disabilities, too. So we have to kind of mm-hmm. manage her uh, um, needs in a um, whatever-it-takes kind of mm-hmm. right. Every day can be a little bit different. So mornings can be kind of hectic, but... A consistent part of every morning for me is a fresh pot of hot coffee. Mm, <laughs> I, yeah. uh, um, every day starts with a fresh pot of hot coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Probably for a lot of other students as well. For real. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the best way to start the day. <laughs> I cannot disagree. <laughs> um, I guess a little bit kind of stepping away from that um and more of a kind of random fun question do you have a favorite song or like a favorite song of the moment that you're listening to uh you know i love music i love all kinds of music um you know i uh I love all music. My my favorite genre is seventies music. You got to go back mm. and I was li- I've been okay. listening to that. Yeah. I just got a my my son just got a new car and I'm borrowing it right now and it's got the free satellite radio on it. So mm-hmm. I'm listening ah, to the seventies sure. on, on seven. <laughs> so I've uh, I've kind of gotten back into uh, a little bit of seventies music. Uh, but I like all music. I like country music. I love popular music. I love that. If, yeah, if I had to say my favorite song right now, it's uh, maybe running its course but it's been in first place for a while it was the theme of the new top gun movie i really like oh, that one too that's a good one top gun maverick i did like that movie mm, a lot that's a good one but i i like all music especially yeah, 70s music awesome um i guess we can take it back to a little bit of a serious question um <laughs> something that uh 
I've had the pleasure of joining is the Wellbeing Collective, um, started by President Ono. Um, and I guess what can you tell us about what is special about the Wellbeing Collective? Um, what is the main advancement or goal that they are? I, I really appreciate you, you know, putting this on the table. I, I hope everybody checks out the Wellbeing Collective uh, website, and and uh, I'm glad we're talking about it. Um, the what's different about the Wellbeing Collective is that it's an institutional commitment to being a health promoting university, and while that in and of itself isn't specific about what we're doing. It, it's a common language that we're using. And when I say the we, I, it means the whole community and uh, the partnerships we've had between student life and academic affairs in establishing the well-being uh, collective has been intentional to try and come up with a structure that will help us live into that commitment about being a health-promoting university. So we, uh, we have, as you know, a, a steering committee that's broadly represented from uh, stakeholders from across the campus. This is from the faculty side, from uh, various uh, uh, staff areas and students. And um, while that group talks about our shared common purpose, we, it also convenes work groups to think about mutually reinforcing activities and service to being a health-promoting university. A couple examples. We, you mentioned uh, some apps mm-hmm. before that sometimes people use. Right. We have a, a, a working group that's sitting down and sort of cataloging all the different kinds of well-being apps that the university you know, makes available and, does, and is in the process of doing an assessment of what we think might be you know, sort of uh, – the most effective, and then comes up with suggested strategies to promote those things. Uh, similarly, you mentioned well, wellness coaching mm-hmm. before. You know, uh, we have a work group that's convened under the construct of the Wellbeing Collective to think about how we can um, train more people to be wellness coaches. So we're creating out of that structure a Wellbeing Academy is the thinking. Another example is an evaluation of our academic policies. The, the Okanagan Charter is the, the uh, template for this. This is why I think you know, President Ono coming from University of British Columbia is really um, in and of itself an important thing for us that are in the uh, well-being uh, work because this is, uh, this is where the the notion of health promoting universities was started outside the United States and it's picking up momentum in the United States and University of Michigan is is out in front of many of our peers about investing in that structure and um, talking about you know different policies that may have been put in place during COVID to help turn down the temperature of stress because of that but maybe we should Think about if some of those make sense going forward, you know. So the Wellbeing Collective is our approach to standardize the way we institutionally think about the well-being of the whole community. Um, It puts together, you know, permanent staff who do this uh, coordination regularly. We are working to uh, come up with some uh, shared measures of, you know, what's working, what's not working. And we're spending a lot of time you know, 
thinking about mutually reinforcing behaviors. So I, I, everyone will talk about the University of Michigan as being decentralized, and I think it is in, in many, for good reasons. Um, so the goal isn't to make the University of Michigan not decentralized, mm -hmm. but it is to create a place where we can come together and talk about that shared interest in, in uh, supporting the well-being of our students and the people who work here. Um, I think something that we were talking about earlier is how University of Michigan has such a, a profound community where we all help each other. Um, and I think this is um, very reflective of that um, and kind of bringing together um, people from all around the University of Michigan, um, all working towards a shared goal. Um, I think that's something that I really enjoyed in my first meeting there. Actually, um, I met a few staff who, from uh, the School of uh, Music, Theater, and Dance, um, and from LSA, um, and they all were able to come together and create this shared vision of what they wanted to see and what they wanted um, the advisory committee to kind of do going forward. Um, so kind of going off of that, what project that one of the work teams is working on is your favorite? Mine personally is the resource navigator. Um, it sounded super cool and they have like an app going on with it to integrate students' schedules into um, a navigator and a map and possibly AI as that <laughs> work also um, progresses. That's definitely going to happen. Yeah. So uh, I am excited about that too. We have, you know, eight work groups and I'm, I'm excited about all of them. Um, you know, I love the idea. I, I, and I think it's what separates us from many of our peers in the collaboration with academic affairs to actually think about our policies, you know, because that's upstream from, uh, the the problem of student mental health you know and we we know a lot about you know students and the stressors that they have sometimes they're episodic you know relationship or conflicts or home mm -hmm. issues but a unifying issue that we've learned about students is academic pressures are really a shared stressor. Right. Uh, and uh, if we can think about ways to turn down the temperature there without compromising, you know, the, the, uh, the strength of the academic experience, I, I think that's a really uh, strong place to be. And having a venue to talk about that is, is fantastic. Separately, we, we do have a, a task force or a work group thinking about the really important issue of access. You're right about navigation is important, but even if we can get somebody to the, the resource that we think might meet their needs best, the experience that the student has you know, connecting to that resource is super important. Um, so I, 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 I'm really excited about the discussions that are underway about making our services just easier to use and you know um so i i'm excited about this entire project but those are just a couple of the highlights that i, I think will be noticeable as this uh well-being collective plays out yeah i mean that makes a ton of sense 
Um, I think that's honestly all of our questions, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it's been a great um, podcast yeah. and uh, a great first episode. I think so, yeah. I've really enjoyed this. I really appreciate the invitation. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You too.